North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, here we go. We're in the series calling Real Jesus. And what we're trying to do throughout these last couple of weeks is to peel back some of the misconceptions of who Jesus is and how we sort of form Jesus in our image or what we want him to be and you see some of the tongue-in-cheek comments on there or the quotes and my favorite was from Private Ryan you know from Private Ryan and I just think that's so funny because there's a lot of what we think about Jesus that comes from all sorts of outside sources and, and thoughts and and so we're really trying to get back to the heart of Jesus to figure out who Jesus was how he acts how he responds what he thinks about things what he says about things and and so that when we um, come to this place where we serve and worship Jesus and we pray to Jesus. We have a good, clear, theological mindset of who this person is. And we've talked about him for the last couple of weeks, specifically about, about Lord and, and he, he's on a mission and, and that he's completed the work and, and all these things. So it's been really good to get a good understanding of Jesus. And so um, we're going to continue that today. The title of the message this morning is Forgive Them. Forgive Them. And um, I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 6 and 18. We're going to be in both places, Matthew chapter 6 and 18. I, I just recently read this story about John, John Wesley, who was a missionary who served in the American colonies. And one day he had an encounter with General Oglethorpe. He was a man known for his extreme pride and his sense of good old American justice. And one day the missionary Wesley begged the general that he would forgive a man who was given a severe penalty for a very minor infraction. Um, essentially they threw the book at him. It was a minor, it was a minor thing. And they, they just took it to him. They, they gave him the extreme maximum amount of pain and punishment that they could muster for this. And so the missionary went to the general and said, could you please just reel that back in a little bit? And in this exchange, this conversation they had, in a particularly prideful moment, the general looked at Wesley in the eyes and said, I never forgive. Wesley looked back at him and said, then I hope, sir, that you never sin. We're a culture that loves justice. We love seeing the bad guys get caught, yes? We love it when the bad guys get what they deserve. We love watching those videos of, of the jerk who cuts somebody off in traffic and then a couple uh, miles down the road he gets in a wreck. You smile at those, don't you? We just love that. We love it when the bad guys get what's coming to them. We don't place in this culture a high premium on forgiveness. We just don't see a whole lot of value in it. If someone offends me or hurts me, then we feel like they deserve to be hurt in a way that is greater than or at bare minimum equal to the extent to which they have hurt us. Seems fair, right? It's the way it ought to be. It seems like lately we have become a people that have moved beyond an eye for an eye mentality to almost a head for an eye mentality. If you hurt me a little, you deserve to be hurt a lot. If you cost me something little, then it should cost you a lot to make amends. We love righteous revenge stories. They just make us feel good, right? When the hero takes the law into his own hands, Batman style, takes care of all the bad guys, gets rid of anybody in his way, 
We, we love those sorts of things. Those make us cheer. I recently watched a, a video on, on social media, and it was uh, of a news um, video that, uh, or a news story that was out years ago. And it was a really sad, sad story. It was about a boy, like a nine-year-old boy, who had been abducted by his karate instructor, and he'd been kidnapped, and, and they left the state and headed to California where, you know, he just took him. And uh, the, the manhunt went on for a couple of days, and eventually they found the boy, and they rescued him, and they brought him back home. And um, when the boy began to tell his story about the abduction and everything that happened, he revealed to his parents that in this process it had um, entailed some physical and sexual abuse and molestation um, through the hands of his abductor. And uh, the, the father just responded, as, as you would imagine. Uh, a couple of days later, they caught the guy. They were bringing him back into the state so that he could stand trial. And when they were walking him through the airport there, he had, he had handcuffs on, and there was a detective there sort of escorting him. And when they were walking him through the, the airport, the media was there. And, and in the video, you can kind of see just a man standing there. And it was later revealed that this man who was just kind of standing there in a, in a jacket and a hood um, or a cap was the boy's father. And as they were escorting the abductor through the airport with the handcuffs on, as he got right next to the father, um, the boy's dad, he pulled out a gun and he shot him point blank in the head and killed him immediately. Just there on the video, you can't see the whole thing, kind of just see like a part of him laying there. And um, just watching this and sort of trying to process all of these emotions, I, I read through the comment sections to to see how people were responding to this. And they responded about like you would think they would. They responded with, good for him. I'd have done the same thing. That's what the dad is supposed to do. Some were saying, if I'm on the jury, my vote is not guilty. He got what he deserved. And, and as we hear that story and, and we see justice in that way, we kind of get it, right? We, we, we sort of kind of agree with it. I mean, we understand the Father. We understand the feelings of justice in that way. And, and I think that since the fall happened, since sin entered this world, there is this deep longing inside of us for things to be made right. Scripture says all of creation, that includes us, is groaning for the day when God will restore his divine order. And, and in that, there is a sense of justice in that. Things need to be made right. Things need to be made fair. And so in us, um, there is this divine sense of justice, but there's also this sense of justice that has been infected with sin because we have been infected with sin. And so it's hard to know what's right and what is sort of a, a sin perverted sense of justice and, and so it gets real difficult but what we see in Jesus is that he speaks more clearly and more aggressively towards forgiveness than he does justice and this is why I believe when we consider who Jesus is and what Jesus says about our responsibility our responsibility in forgiveness it confronts us to the core of our being it hits us deep and internal. You see, we mold Jesus into the image that, that conforms to our sense of justice. And we very rarely look at Jesus for who he 
really is. And, and we don't have a problem talking about forgiveness. We can talk about forgiveness all day long when we talk about it from the perspective of God forgives me. Jesus comes down and he lives a perfect life and he dies on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sins. We love to celebrate this, and this is why we sing, this is why we gather, and this is why we get excited. Christ died so that I could be forgiven, and that when God looks at me, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees a son, and we celebrate that. That's the essence of the good news, and so that's why we sing and clap and cheer and get excited for 2,000 years for what Jesus has done for us, and that's really, really good stuff, amen? That's the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What becomes difficult, however, is when we begin to consider that Jesus tells us that we have to forgive too. We love that Jesus forgives us, but then when Jesus tells us it's our job to forgive as well, we're like, hang on. Let's just go back and talk about you forgiving me because that's easy. That's easy. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 says, Then Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, came to him and asked Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And you see, in that culture, they didn't place a high premium on forgiveness either. So we can relate to Peter in this area. We can relate to them. And so Peter, attempting to have a conversation with Jesus that would elevate him spiritually and, and let Jesus know how very um, pious he was, he brings up this conversation. And I think there is a warning. Anytime that we go to Jesus talking about how awesome we are, uh, Jesus is going to very quickly let us know that we fall real short. And so Peter goes to Jesus. Jesus, if somebody sins against me, um, I'm willing to forgive him seven times. Pretty good, right? Like probably his other disciples are like four or five, but I'm seven. I want you to know, Jesus, that I will forgive seven times. And uh, just showing Jesus just, you know, how much he gets it. Jesus responds in verse 22, no, not seven times. And I think that there was probably a pause in this moment in, in, in that Jesus allowed Peter to sort of bask in his egotistical glow. I offered seven times. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 not seven times. Fully anticipating that Jesus would say, seven times, forgiving somebody seven times is too much. That's kind of stupid. If somebody sins against you like two or three times, then then go ahead and forgive them. But anything after that, then it's just silliness. It's just nonsense. It's, it's not wise to forgive somebody that many times because then they'll never learn. You know, never learn. If you forgive seven times, they won't get it. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking that Peter is sort of anticipating like three or four is good, Peter, you know, you know but seven's too much. But Jesus says this, you see it on the screen. No, not seven times, but 70 times seven. He's telling Peter, you're not even close. You don't understand the aspect of forgiveness that permeates from the heart of God. That when God sent Jesus to die for the, the salvation of mankind and to take on sin and forgive mankind of their sin, God pours forgiveness out on the world like a tsunami and it just completely overwhelms us and we can't even begin to understand the extent of the forgiveness that God gives to us. And so Jesus says to Peter, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. 
And, and the way this, this language is written in, in the like Greek and the Hebrew, there is this implication that what Jesus is saying is not just 490 times, but what he's saying is if somebody sins against you 490 times today, you forgive him 490 times. And then the next day, it starts all over. And if, he, and if he sins against you 490 times, the next day you forgive him again. And the next day 490 times. And the next day 490 times. And the next day, and, and he says this in a way that says, there ought to be no number, no limit in the moment that you don't have to operate in forgiveness anymore. He says it's 490 times a day. Go for it. Some of you are thinking, this can't be right. No. Some of you are thinking, okay, let's stop talking about forgiveness and start talking about Jesus. That's the series. Let's talk about Jesus. But you can't really talk about Jesus without talking about forgiveness, can you? Jesus is the embodiment of forgiveness. Think about this. As Jesus, We talked about Jesus hanging on the cross last week. And, and um, we talked about the fact that as he's hanging there on the cross, he suffocates because his diaphragm isn't able to, uh, to expel his breath. And so every time he falls down, he suffocates. And, and it creates tremendous amount of searing pain every time he pulls himself out onto those nails that are driven into his hands and feet to breathe out. But every time he um, wanted to speak, from the cross, he would have to pull himself up to breathe out. To you know, when you speak, you exhale, and, and he's breathing out and speaking. And there are um, ser- sermon series all over the place about uh, pastors sort of uh, identifying and studying just the, the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Because if he is dying and has to go through that amount of pain to speak the words, then these are important words for us to know. And we see in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, that Jesus on the cross, as he's hanging there suffocating after all the beatings that he's taken, spends the energy to pull himself up on those nails, searing pain throughout his entire body so he can say these words, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In essence, he's saying, I forgive you. Looking at the Roman down here, I forgive you. The religious leaders who would gather chanting for his death, I forgive you. Father, forgive them. And think about this. Jesus hadn't even fully endured all of the physical pain that they were causing on him. The pain wasn't over yet. But in the process, in the middle of it, immediately, Jesus is saying, I forgive you. There is no limit to the extent to which he will forgive. And you and I operate different. Because very rarely do we operate in forgiveness in the moment of pain, do we? We think, you know what, I may forgive you someday. Time heals all wounds and all that garbage. But but I'm not going to forgive you today, amen? Like, Like we'll look at somebody and say, you hurt me. I get at least two weeks to hate you. I get a window. That's a free window. And then after that, I may consider forgiveness and all of that stuff. But for now, don't talk to me. We're not doing this right now. Like immediate forgiveness, not an option. Go sell crazy somewhere else. We're all stocked up here. We're not doing that stuff. A couple weeks ago, we were getting ready for Wednesday night church and my oldest daughter, she was in, in the shower and, and kind of getting ready, and, and I was going to do one of my dad pranks that we all do, you know, the cold water and then dumping it on them and stuff, and, and it's the oldest prank in the book, yes? Not super funny, 
but we love doing it. And so I asked my, my youngest, I said, Lydia, should we dump cold water on her? She's like, yeah, let's do it. And so cold water, and we sneak in there, and we do the blind dump over the, over the, the curtain, the shower curtain there. And um, usually you hear the squeal like, oh, that's so cold. Don't do that anymore and stuff. And the laughs and giggles, and we all run out. But this time it was different. This time she yelled at me. She's like, Dad! And she starts crying instantly. And I'm like, what's going on? Why are you so, like, why are you freaking out about this? And she said, Dad! Mom said I didn't have to get my hair wet. Now I gotta blow dry my hair. And being a guy, I don't understand the pain in that. You understand? Like apparently that's a thing. Like showering without getting your hair wet. And it's a big deal, a big deal. So after she gets out and I see her standing there in the hallway, I said, Phoebe, I'm so sorry, honey. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know if I would have known that you weren't getting your hair wet. I would have never done it. I'm so sorry. And I'm just begging her for forgiveness. And you know what she does? She looks at me with daggers. And she walks right by me. Doesn't say a word to me. And you know what? She wasn't ready to forgive me yet. It wasn't time. She's like, give me space, boy. Give me space. You're pushing it by even asking for forgiveness right now. But that's how we operate, right? After church, I gave her a big hug, and I said, are we friends again? And she hugs me back, so we made up and stuff. But she needed at least an hour to, to hate on me. And we get it. But Jesus, while he was being crucified, said, Father, forgive them. To know the real Jesus is to operate in forgiveness. This sort of forgiveness that doesn't make sense in our culture and in our day and age. However, it seems like we do everything we can to go out of our way to minimize or completely ignore our part in forgiveness. Think of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It's the Lord's Prayer. Most of you could quote the Lord's Prayer, the King James Version, because that's what we recite. Um, I remember going to football games with my dad when he was helping out with the team and stuff and being in the locker room after the football games and all the, the boys would gather around. They'd all take a knee, they'd hold hands, and they'd recite the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't anything overly spiritual. It was just their routine. It was just what they did. After a win, after a loss, they'd gather together, hold hands, and recite the Lord's Prayer. It was very different depending on whether they won or lost. If they lost, it was um, very monotone, um, just very sort of dejected. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know, it's just kind of going through the motions because that's what they had to do. There was no, like, there was nothing about it. If they won, it was a little different, but it was still just going through the motions. If they won, it was, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then by the time they got to the end, for that is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever, forever. And you'd think, like, Jesus is a big deal in their lives, right? But then after they would say, amen, and they would say, and next week, we're going to go murder the eagles, Right? God is so good. Bless you, you know. But we, we often go to this Lord's Prayer out of ritual and stuff, but we, we rarely take time to listen to the words of the prayer. And, and I want you to hear something in this that you may have never heard or considered before. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus is telling his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Use this as a model. Not necessarily repeating these words, but this is, this is theology-based prayer so that you can understand the economics of the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. In verse 12, I want you to listen really close. I want you to step outside of the football prayer 
vain repetition, circle, mode, and listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, when you pray, pray like this, and say this, and forgive us our sins, here's the line, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins in the same way we forgive people who sin against us. And we repeat this prayer without even realizing what we're actually saying. There's several people have taken time to comment on this. Several um, theologians throughout history. St. Augustine calls this the terrible petition. He says, this is a terrible prayer. Charles Spurgeon says, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. C.S. Lewis says no part of Jesus' teaching was clear and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins provided they are not too frightful or providing there are, uh, providing there are extenuating circumstances. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, he says, we shall be forgiven none of our own. And then it goes on, verse 13, the rest of it. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And, and that's the prayer. And again, depending on whether you lost or won the game, depends on the excitement for which you're repeating these words, but never really thinking about it either way. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to teach the disciples something. He's trying to teach them how, how God works. And he's trying to teach them something about um, this relationship with God. And, and so what he does is, is he adds commentary to it. Jesus doesn't just give us the prayer and then not say another word about it. He gives us the prayer and then he explains, he goes into deeper um, explanation to the one verse that is most critical for us to understand. But it just so happens to be the one verse that we most intentionally overlook. This part that says, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. This is what Jesus says in verse 14. Praise the prayer. He says, this is the prayer, but let me, let me share something with you. He says in verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And this is a verse that we have to stop and look at and ask, what if this is true? Right? Right? What if this is true? What if this isn't something that, that we can look at and we can explain, well, what he really means is, or, or, you know, like based on everything else I know about God, you know, that was kind of a misspeak from Jesus because that's not true. Um, um, we don't have to forgive others because we're forgiven already. And in fact, we hold on to unforgiveness as sort of our divine right. I have the right to hold on to unforgiveness based on what you have done to me. But what if, no, no other explanation, just black and white, simply this statement, what if this is true? That might change something, wouldn't it? If you don't get, forgive people of their sins, your heavenly Father won't forgive you? This doesn't sound right. I don't know if this is true, right? Because it, it surely can't be, can it? And, and, and we, we go through all of these things, and, and you see, we like it when Jesus fits into our easy believism kind of mold, but the truth is there's nothing easy about this. I'm afraid for many of us in this room today listening online, this is the issue. 
This is the issue at the heart of your struggle with Jesus. This is the issue at the heart of your struggle with the gospel. This is the issue at the heart of your struggle in anything that has to do with Christianity. The unforgiveness that you're holding on to is slamming the door of a real, personal, and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The issue of unforgiveness is what's keeping you stuck. It's what's keeping you bound. It's what's keeping you from moving forward in life and relationships and the call of God that he has on your life. This issue of unforgiveness is what's causing the lack of power in your prayers, like a kink in the hose. When you turn the water on, there's something binding the flow. Most often, it's this issue of unforgiveness. And, and you may be sitting here thinking, but Pastor Chris, you don't know what they did to me. I don't. Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about because you don't know how bad they've hurt me. I, I don't. You don't know how I've been wronged. You don't know how I've been beaten down and abused time and time and time again. And you would say, for me, forgiveness is not an option. How can I forgive when I still feel the pain? How can I forgive when it still hurts? How can I forgive when they haven't been punished? How can I forgive when they haven't even asked for forgiveness? I'm not forgiving them. They have not even asked for it. They don't have the decency to come and ask me for for forgiveness. I'm not going to forgive them. I think one of the reasons that we have such a hard time with forgiveness is because we have a basic misunderstanding of what forgiveness actually is. That's why we don't move forward with this process. But If we're going to be followers of Jesus and not our Americanized version of our own sort of manipulated um, image of Jesus, but the real Jesus, this isn't something that we get to ignore. He hasn't given us that option. I heard a pastor preach a sermon a while back on forgiveness, and he gives a list of what forgiveness is and what it isn't, and I thought it was so good. It was extremely beneficial for me, so I want to share this list with you here this morning. He says, forgiveness is not saying it didn't hurt. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't hurt. You don't have to pretend that you weren't hurt, that you weren't wronged, or you weren't sinned against. When we minimize the wrong, it diminishes what forgiveness really is. And we try to do this with Jesus. When we look at the sin, when we look at how we have hurt and offended Jesus, we look at it and we try to diminish the extent of our sin, saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. It was just a mistake. It wasn't anything wrong against you. And we diminish the sin. And when we diminish the sin, it diminishes the the sacrifice or the forgiveness. And so when we do that with Jesus, it diminishes who Jesus is. And, and when, we, when we diminish that with other people, it diminishes the process for them, for forgiveness and, and, and the extent of the Holy Spirit working through us in forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't saying it didn't hurt. When we say it didn't hurt or it wasn't that big of a deal or don't sweat it, it gives someone else permission to engage in that behavior again. We have to accurately and consistently be able to identify the wrong and to name the sin. Forgiveness is not taking the blame for someone else's sin. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus took the blame for our sin. That's salvation, and he finished it. Right? It is finished. You don't have to take the blame for someone else's sin. The abuse is not your fault. It's not your responsibility. I feel like the Holy Spirit was, as, as, we were, as I was preparing this, just really strongly was impressing on me that somebody in your church service, whether it's first or second service, I don't know, needs to know that that pain, that abuse, that, that whatever it was that happened to you, 
It is not your fault. It wasn't your fault. You didn't ask for it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't bring it on yourself. It was not your fault. Forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't happen. That's not forgiveness. That's foolishness. Forgiveness is not pretending that it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that you're ignoring the big elephant in the room. It doesn't mean that, that you are pretending like, like that thing that was done to you was not actually done to you. That, that's not forgiveness. That's silliness. Forgiveness is not a warm, gushy feeling of love toward the one who hurts you. When you're hurt, it affects your emotions. It will change the way you feel about someone. It'll change your emotional state. And, and the reality is you may never feel the way towards that person who hurts you like you felt for them in the past. Forgiveness doesn't mean that, well, you're holding on to bitterness until you still feel the same warm, fuzzy, gushy, lovey-dovey feelings about them like you did before. You're married to somebody and, and things were going well and then they began to hurt and abuse you physically and emotionally. Um, you can forgive them and never have the same sort of emotional feeling towards them that you did on your wedding day. When you are hurt, it affects your emotions. You just may never feel that way again. Forgiveness is not a reunion. When you forgive someone, it doesn't automatically mean that you move back into the same kind of relationship that you did before. It doesn't mean that you move back into that romantic relationship. It doesn't mean that, that you, you try to restore what that was. That's not forgiveness. That's reconciliation. And that happens when the, the offender, the person who sinned against, approaches the person who they have sinned against and asks for forgiveness and asks, what can I do to make it right? And moves forward with it. But they may not do that. And even if they do do that, doesn't necessarily mean that you are obligated and required to move forward in the kind of reconciliation that they are seeking. Forgiveness is not a demand for a reunion. You can have forgiveness without a reunion. Forgiveness is not immediately trusting. Trust is established by character and consistency, and the closer the relationship you have with somebody, the longer it takes to build that trust, and the longer it takes to rebuild that trust once it's broken. I mean, think about it like this. If you were abused as a child by a parent, you can forgive that parent, and at the same time, never trust that parent with your own child. Amen? You can still operate in forgiveness. Jesus didn't say, trust them. He said, forgive them. They're different. Forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. Forgiveness is getting up, giving up the right to get even. Forgiveness is putting it in God's hands. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Forgiveness is giving up the right to get even. Forgiveness is demanding your sense of justice without taking into consideration that God is providential, he's in control of all things, and he will make it right in, according to his omniscient level of justice. And forgiveness is giving it up to God. Saying, God, this is yours, you know everything, you see everything, and I'm going to leave this up to you. Forgiveness is praying for your offender. 
I know some of you are like, "Eh, hit the brakes. Praying for your offender? Not going to happen. Maybe praying for my offender in the way that, um, you know, that you just read there in Romans, that, that God will get them, right? That God will judge them, that God's righteous anger will be poured out on them. Yeah, I'll pray for them. But forgiveness is praying for them, not for that righteous anger, but that God would save them, that God would bless them. It's um, praying that they would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit and that God would reveal himself to them and his will for them. A strange strange thing happens when I pray for you, my heart becomes soft towards you. A A strange thing happens when you pray for me, your heart becomes soft towards me. And, and, and I would say even like, like in, in a case like this, if, if you are frustrated with me, if you're offended by me, if I did something to hurt you and you're, you're thinking, man, he's not a pastor, he has no integrity, he has no character, and, and we're getting ready to leave this church, I would say before you leave the church, spend two months praying for me. Because when you pray for me, your heart becomes tender towards me, and then you can operate in forgiveness towards me, and then when you forgive me, you can stop praying for me. Win-win for you, right? Pray for those who offend you. The goal of forgiveness is a tender heart, and that doesn't come in a moment. It doesn't come in an instant. It's a process. Forgiveness is blessing your offender. Blessing your offender. Romans 12, verse 20, again, tells us how to respond when we're hurt. It says, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. What? If your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And that's the part that we like, right? Burning coals of shame. I want that. There's somebody who hurt me. I want burning coals of shame on their head. As I was preparing, as I was going through this message again this morning, I I was angry at myself that I didn't title this message Burning Coals of Shame. That's what it should have been, right? Sounds like a good band name, too, like a good rock band, Burning Coals of Shame, something like that. But but in this moment of, of frustration and pain, That's what we want on the person who's hurt us, burning coals of shame. Let's do that. God, I'm all in with scripture. I want burning coals of shame on their head. How do I make that happen? God says it's simple. Give them something to eat. Like with laxatives or what? Like, (laughs) what do you mean? Just give them something to eat. Bless them. Give them something to drink. And in that, you heap burning coals of shame on their head. You know, and, and I've had conversations with people before in, in my explanation of, of sometimes my reluctant obedience to God when I feel like God is saying to me sometimes, my response is, whatever, God, I'll do it. But I'm not going to do it with a smile, right? I'm not going to enjoy this. And I, and I think sometimes in this when God tells us to bless our enemies, it's like, I'll do it. I'm not going to be happy about it. When we get to understand who God really is and, and what he asks us to do, we realize that it, it presses against who we are at our core. And sometimes God can be really frustrating. I don't want to bless my enemy. I don't want to pray for my enemy. Years ago, I heard my dad preach a message on, on this topic, bless those who hurt you. 
I think it was in fourth or fifth grade at the time. And usually after school, I would walk home with a boy named Caleb who lived just down the street with me. And, uh, but this day, um, Caleb was having a friend of, uh, you know, a classmate of ours, a friend of his that was going to go hang out at his house for a while. So they were walking home together. And so, so they were kind of buddied up. And I was kind of alone this time and just walking a little bit um, ahead of them or behind them. I can't remember. I was separated from them a little bit. And they started picking on me and harassing me and saying things to me and just kind of being jerks. And, and uh, eventually they, they got closer and Caleb wrapped his arms around me um, from behind and, and picked me up. And I was kind of flailing around like an upside down turtle. And then, and then Ryan, while I was being picked up in the air, punched me right in the stomach. Poof, right in the stomach. And, you know, I was mad. And um, then they set me down and then we kind of like looked at each other. I'm looking at them. They're both looking at me like, what's going to happen next? And, and I remember this message that my dad just had preached the week before. It just burned into my heart and into my spirit. And um, I'm, I'm wanting burning coals of shame. What can I do, God, to show them that me and you are tight and you could shoot a fireball down on them right now? And I didn't want God to hit them. I wanted him to put a fireball right in between us real close just so they knew, you know? I can just say another word, and that one's, he's not going to miss next time. You know, I needed burning coals of shame. And, um, and I didn't fully know how to apply this verse to this situation, but I tried. And so I did the best that I could in, in, my, in my fourth and fifth grade understanding of what was being said here. And this was the very first time that I had, I had wrestled through this concept of blessing those who hurt you. And so this is what I did, or I got picked up and punched. I looked at them both in the eye, and I said, I bless you. Got them, right? I didn't know how to apply this, but I said, I bless you. Like a miniature Catholic priest in that moment. <laughs> bless you. Bless you. Right? What a nerd, right? I mean, what a dork. I didn't know if this was going to bring the burning coals of shame or not, but I was, I was hoping for it. I thought it may get me a real beating after that, but I just looked at him and said, I bless you. And then we just stared at each other in this long, awkward, uncomfortable pause. Now what? And then I turned away and walked home, and they just sort of left me alone. They stopped hitting me and, and talking to me. And then later uh, that week, the next day, in fact, they both came up to me separately and apologized. It was so weird. It was so weird. And I think it kind of freaked them out. Like, man, dude, just don't bless us again. I mean, what? <laughs> I won't hit you again. Just stop blessing me. That was too weird, you know? It was just crazy. But when you bless people who have hurt you, people will notice. They'll see Jesus in you, you know? You forgive people, and you'll look like Jesus in a way that they've never seen Jesus before. Forgiveness is treating people as forgiven, speaking to them with kindness, treating them with gentleness and respect. It's a visible demonstration of the love and power of Jesus. Forgiveness is you being free. When you forgive, you're no longer being held captive by your bitterness and resentment. You know that unforgiveness isn't even a word. All through this message, I'm writing unforgiveness. Every time there's a little red squiggly line under it, like why is that? I'm writing this word right. It's because unforgiveness isn't even a word. Resentment. Bitterness, pain, anger, frustration, hate. That's what unforgiveness is. But, but we re-identify it and, and say unforgiveness 
and, and we sort of package it in a way that says unforgiveness is good, but it, it's all those things. So when you forgive, it sets you free. It sets you free. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a hard choice, it's difficult, it's painful, it's counterintuitive, it's one that we don't like to make. It's not a feeling. If you wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving, chances are you never will. But the truth is some of you need to make this choice today. Some of you need to begin this process today. You need to, in this moment, say, it's time for me to begin to operate in forgiveness. We're gonna close a little different today. Could you stand to your feet all across this place? If our um, communion ushers could begin to come, we're gonna take communion together as we close. And um, so what they're gonna do, they're gonna hand these trays around. They got a little cracker and then another tray will follow with a little bit of juice. And this is an open communion. You don't have to be a part of our church to participate in this. But the only thing that we would ask is that you would legitimately um, be a believer. If you don't have a relationship with Christ today, um, you guys go ahead, go ahead, begin to pass these out. Begin to pass these out. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, would you just kind of sort of take a minute and respect this very sacred process for us and, and pass that on down the road. Just You don't have to make a big deal of it. Just pass it along if you don't feel like you're ready to partake in that today. But the only requirement is that you have a relationship with Jesus. And so we're gonna do this together here in just a moment. So you don't have to take these now. Hold on to these, hold on to the cracker, hold on to the juice, don't take them yet. Because we know that forgiveness is a choice. And Jesus is the embodiment of forgiveness. And that in communion, when Jesus sort of set this precedent for us to participate in until he returns, in, in essence what we're saying is, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus. I want to act like Jesus. I want to think like Jesus. I want to experience purpose like Jesus. I want to experience the miraculous like Jesus. I want to experience the salvation that Jesus provided for us. But it's also, specifically in the context of this message, is saying, I want to forgive like Jesus. It's not a feeling. We don't always feel like forgiving. It's a process. It's a choice. It's a commitment. It's saying, I'm going to choose to forgive. And then a week, a month, a year later, when that pain comes back, and those feelings return, and that pain is sort of refreshed inside of us and say, no, 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 I still choose to forgive. I still choose to forgive. It's not easy, I wish it was. I wish I could give you a formula. I wish I could say, if you have unforgiveness, come down, say these words, poof, magic, you're healed. You'll never think about it again, but that's not the way it works. It's a process. But we can never know forgiveness if we don't know Jesus. Jesus was the embodiment of it. And so we're going to do this. And at first I thought, man, this is going to feel disjointed, talking about forgiveness, then going into communion. But the reality is, Jesus died so that we can be forgiven. 
He saved us so that we could operate in forgiveness. But no better way to take that first step towards forgiving that person that hurt you than saying in communion, I want to connect with Jesus. So this is, this is what we're gonna do. If you, if you would take that little cracker there, hold it, don't, don't, don't eat it yet. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I, I think what, what feels right and what we should do in, in this communion service today is that as we take this bread together, let's spend 30 seconds thanking God for how he's forgiven us. And perhaps even in this moment, um, you, you need to recall or remember some of those things in your own life that Jesus has forgiven you from. Some of those sins and some of those, uh, those rebellion against God or other people that he has forgiven you from um, to, to set our minds right in who Jesus was. And so, so let's partake together and spend 30 seconds just thanking God for how he has forgiven us. Can we do that? Just tell him thank you all across this place. Thank him for what he's done. Thank you, Jesus. It's all across this place. It can be a personal prayer. It can be a silent prayer. But personalize it. Personalize it. Jesus, thank you for what you've forgiven me for. Thank you for what you've done in me. Thank you for not rejecting me. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're gonna do something a little different for this next part. You know, I got the juice in your hand and I realize that it's grape juice and it's stains and it's messy if you spill it and all that stuff. But this is what I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. If there's a situation in your life where it's time for you to operate in forgiveness, maybe somebody hurts you, maybe somebody's abused you, maybe, maybe it's something small, Maybe you're here today and you just need to forgive yourself. I want you to take a bold step with me today. I want you to step out from your seat and I want you to come down to the front area. Oh, Pastor Chris, I don't like to do this. Look, this is easy compared to the actual process of forgiveness. And so with that juice in your hand, being very careful, before we partake of it together, would you just make your way down? If you're in this place and you would say, I got some areas. I got some steps in this process that I need to take. I, I know it takes, it takes one or two to get, to get started. But if that's you, you would say, I got some things. Boy, I, there's a person that I'm thinking of. I can see the face and I can replay the situation. When talking about forgiveness and unforgiveness, I can point you to the moment the time, the place, I can remember the smell and everything else when I first realized the pain. And today, you would say, it's time. It is time for me. I'm taking the first step because listen, forgiveness 
Our ability to forgive, our ability to be set free does not happen in a moment. It, it's a process. And what I want to say to those of you who came down here this morning, I don't know what the pain was. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what has been done to you. But I want to let you know I am so proud of you for saying I'm going to engage in the process. And maybe this is step number 52 for you. You've already started this process, but you're saying there's still more to go. There's still more to go. Jesus shed his blood so that you could be forgiven, but it also acts as a conduit through which we can forgive others. Man, God is so good. God is so good. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna close. We're gonna take a drink. We're gonna take this juice together in this communion and in um, connecting with the body of Jesus through communion. But in this, after we drink our juice, I want you to take 30 seconds and pray for the person who hurt you. Take 30 seconds and pray for the situation. Pray blessings. Pray favor on the person who hurt you. Let's partake together. Thirty seconds, just pray for them. If you don't want to call them out by name in your head, pray for them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Just like Jesus. Father, forgive them. Father, bless them. Father, reveal yourself to them. Yes, there's feelings of pain and hurt, but Father, I give it to you right now. I can't deal with it on my own. I give it to you, and I pray your blessings on them. I pray that you would provide for them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. We love you. We praise you. Oh, Holy Spirit. Let this process that has begun today reach completion over these next couple of weeks and months. Jesus, as you are setting free, as setting hearts free, setting spirits free, setting minds free, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would operate in a divine and powerful way. And God, when those moments of reconciliation reveal themselves, I pray that they would operate in it, but Jesus, let the process of forgiveness start today, right now. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. You are so good. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. And thank you, though it's difficult, thank you for revealing your heart for me to operate in forgiveness so that I can live in freedom. I'm going to take that step today, Jesus. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to pray for I'm going to bless. I'm going to give up my right to get even. I'm going to let forgiveness reign in me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.